Hello, Katawantok. You had come with Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, me, Koroi Hawkins. Coming up first... The judge has ruled that he's guilty basically for the same infringement for bribery. Pohiva Tui Onoto again found guilty of election bribery in Tonga. Well, she urged the Indonesian government to stop the abuse of the human rights of West Papuans. New Zealand government is pressed to call out Indonesia for heavy-handed shutdown of peaceful protests in West Papua. It's quite quite difficult, because even if they do well in the first round, the loyalists will back a, a loyalist candidate. And in New Caledonia this weekend, Canucks and pro-independence vie for seats in the French Congress. Tonga's former Prime Minister, Pohiva Tuyonotoa, has lost a second electoral petition for bribing voters ahead of last year's election. He, along with three current cabinet ministers, already have stays on election petition losses announced last month. RNZ Pacific's correspondent in Tonga, Kalafi Muala, told Don Wiseman about this latest setback for a man who led the country until just six months ago. The judge has ruled that he's guilty basically for the same infringement for bribery, although the petitioner was a a different uh, petitioner and also different witnesses concerning the um, the infringement. This was over his provision of water tanks to a village. That's correct. Of course, the, the provision of water tanks is a little bit more serious. It's not like you're giving a box of chicken or giving just a little cash. A water tank is is worth $10,000. And according to the judgment description that that came from the judge, there were 50 water tanks that was at his disposal to be able to give to the people in his constituency to vote. vote And and those were given as a form of bribery. I think his defence is he was responding to a need. Well, that's correct. However, in the judgment, one of the things that was surprising was the judge says that he himself was surprised that Tui Onetor did not provide any evidence or try to prove that it was not bribery. He, the judge says, he was neither naive about the uh, situation or he didn't really want to defend it. And so it's a, a very, very serious offence. All right. Well, he has a stay as a result of this first petition uh, being successful. So what happens now? Well, I, I hear that uh, he's going to apply for uh, another stay. Parliament, of course, is this week continuing uh, to meet uh, on on the budget, and uh, it's very interesting situation because you've got three ministers and two in Parliament that are all on a stay uh, to maintain their seat. So I, I hear he's going to apply for it, uh, but Don, there there are more serious things coming for two For example, I hear that there's going to be a petition against him. For the, the, the for perjury because it has been uh, proven that he actually lied in court under oath and then there is another situation that's coming and I hear uh, people that are getting together to sue him on the fact that there was use during his government of COVID funding and it was used uh, some of it the funds were used for for bribery in terms of perjury charges and things like this this is coming from police is it oh yes. Complaints have been uh, filed uh, with the police, and it's it's going to be, of course, a criminal case. The the first two cases on bribery were civil cases, but uh, these would be criminal cases for uh, 
the breaching of the law. And unprecedented in Tonga. Very unprecedented. Former Prime Minister, for one thing, and for a member of parliament that continues to be a member of parliament while these charges are coming against him. New Zealand's Foreign Affairs Minister Nanaya Mahuta was this week questioned by Green Party MPs in Parliament about the latest human rights abuses in Papua and whether Wellington was raising any concerns with Jakarta about them. Amnesty International Indonesia last week called out the government for excessive use of force in Papua against protesters who were rallying against Jakarta's plan to create new provinces in the country's easternmost region. This was the basis of question 12 during oral questions in the House on Thursday, put to Nanaya Mahuta by Green MP Tianao Tuyono. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, my question is to the Minister of Foreign Affairs and reads as follows. Will she urge the Indonesian government to stop the abuse of the human rights of West Papuans protesting against the further division of their country into provinces against their wishes? Uh, the Honourable Nanaya Mahuta. Mr. Speaker. As we conduct our diplomatic engagement on a range of issues, we fully respect Indonesia's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Aotearoa New Zealand continues to register its concerns with Indonesian authorities about human rights situations in Papua. These are issues I discussed personally with the Indonesian President Widodo and Foreign Minister Masuri during my visit to Indonesia in November last year. I discussed these issues again with Minister Masuri in Paris in February this year. In my engagement with the Government of Indonesia, I've encouraged them to deliver on the goals and principles underpinning special autonomy for the benefit of all Papuans, including recognition of the rights of Indigenous peoples in Papua. Our supplementary to... Does she still support the call from the Pacific Islands Forum leaders for the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights to be permitted to visit West Papua? And if so, what will she do in addition to meeting with the Commissioner? Mr Speaker, Aotearoa New Zealand supports the Pacific Islands Forum approach for open and constructive engagement with Indonesia regarding the human rights situation in Papua and the leaders' call for the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights to be permitted to visit Papua. When I met with the High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, in Geneva this year, I was clear that Aotearoa strongly supports the work of the United Nations Human Rights Council and encourages all states to allow access for visits. Uh, we're going now to Golriz Garaman, joining us remotely. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, to the Minister, what steps will she take to ensure New Zealand is not contributing to human rights abuses by importing timber and minerals from Indonesia, though produced in West Papua, in conditions that deny the rights of the Indigenous peoples of West Papua? We continue to advocate with uh, Indonesia in relation to uh, human rights issues and the treatment of uh, those indigenous peoples in Papua. Again, we respect their sovereignty. We raise these issues with them. It is upon them to act. Tiano Tuyono remotely. Does she support the call from West Papuans for a referendum on self-determination for their people? Mr Speaker, we fully respect, as I said, the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Indonesia. A point of difference that New Zealand has to offer other countries is a comparative example in relation to the expression of Indigenous rights and interests. But let me be clear, the context for which New Zealand is able to share its experience 
will differ to other countries. I am aware that these are sensitive issues and that it's not often easy for other countries to deal with Indigenous matters. We continue to encourage active dialogue between all parties within Indonesia to find a way forward and, if called on, New Zealand will share its, ex its experience. Uh, that concludes oral questions. I call on Government Order of the Day number one. And now I'm joined by Tiana Tuono to talk some more about the situation in Papua. Kia ora and welcome on Pacific Waves. This protest on Friday last week, tell us a bit more about it. Well, I, I have a number of concerns about what happened in Jayapura City last week where the Papua People's uh, Petition protested on, uh, protested on Friday. The, the, the military came down hard, the police came down hard on, hard on them. Um, and so we were asking these questions in the context of everything that's been happening in, in West Papua, uh, the impact on uh, uh, Indigenous people's rights, on, on human rights, and asking for New Zealand to show some leadership to call for the Human Rights Commissioner to be able to go in there and, and, and investigate. These, this is just one event uh, amongst a whole lot of events, imposition on, on the peoples of West Papua. And, and so uh, our questions in the House were, were directed at getting some leadership from New Zealand to actually step up and call the Indonesian government out. And, and tell us a little bit about the issues in West Papua that, that you raised the questions about and, and why, why they are an issue. Uh, West Papua is an is, is a occupied territory. It's occupied by the Indonesian government, um, and so I, I see this as amongst many things as as a Pacific peoples issue. Uh, West Papua people, West Papuans are a Pacifica peoples. I also see this as an Indigenous uh, peoples uh, issue as well. Um, and here's the thing: like New Zealand signed the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Uh, West Papuan people are Indigenous, and it is important for us to show solidarity with uh, Indigenous peoples over there, particularly with what's happening over there, the re the, rep the repetition of events. I, I also had communicated with me um, munitions that had shown up uh, and been dropped on Papuan villages as well. Uh, these ongoing issues are happening all the time. And here's the thing: these are there's a lot of sympathy for, for the Ukraine at the moment, and I support that. It's, it's important that we speak out and stand up against against Russia as well, but we need to show that compassion as well for, for West Papua. Yes, quite, quite a long-running issue there. And, and what did you think of the minister's responses to the questions put, put to her? Um, I, I felt there were non-answers, to be honest. I, I, was, I was wanting a, a stronger and firmer commitment I want that support, that call from the Islands Forum leaders for the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights to be permitted to visit uh, West Papua. Uh, the government knows that, and I want them to push to make sure that that happens. But in addition to that, to support other initiatives to make sure that we get the voices of West Papua people so that we can hear it and elevate it here in Aotearoa, but of course around the world as well. Kanak and pro-independence candidates are this month vying for seats in the French National Assembly. The last Kanak representative elected to the Congress was Roque Pigeot in 1986. The first round of elections kick off this weekend with voting for the first seat set for the 12th of June, while the poll for the second seat will be held on the 19th. There are a total of eight candidates for the first seat and nine for the second. RNZ Pacific reporter Jan Kohut spoke with Victoria University of Wellington historian in Pacific Islands regions, Adrian Muckle, who said the legislative elections offer an interesting avenue for the independence movement. 
symbolically it's fairly important and what's significant this time is that the independentists um, have sort of made an attempt, not 100% successful, but to put up a, a common sort of unique candidate in each of the two electorates. Mm. Um, I think from their point of view, it's always a sort of a long shot. Those electorates are both constructed in such a way um, that independentists haven't been able to win seats in them since they were last rearranged in the 1980s, um, exactly so as to exclude <laughs> independentists. So it, so it really is for them quite a long shot. But nevertheless, the campaign does provide them with the opportunity to sort of signal their presence um, and at the same time also their, their absence from um, the French Parliament. Um, and insofar as I guess those um, those MPs do, those who are elected then do have the opportunity to sort of represent the New Caledonian situation in the French Parliament. So that that's quite important. But realistically, the chances of the independentists being elected are, are fairly slim. With the French national elections, there's no exclusion of um, local voters. So all French citizens in New Caledonia. Are Mm. So, so you really don't think they they will make it to the national assembly? That's uh, highly unlikely. Yeah, I mean, that, the question might be more symbolically whether they get through to the second round. Um, so, how well they how I do, how well they do? But I guess I qualify that by saying I haven't sort of looked at the numbers uh, recently. But yeah, that's sort of my sense, sort of historically, that it's quite quite difficult because even if they do well in the first round, that almost certainly in the second round. Loyalists will will back a, a loyalist candidate. Mm. Mm. So, what do you think is the the, the next step for um, the referendum if the Canucks do not win these national uh, assembly uh, seats? It doesn't really matter for them, um, and you'll see, you know, even in the last few days that now that the new government sort of been set up in France, that the sort of overtures are being made towards sort of, I guess, the Macron government wanting to implement the plan that it outlined last year, which was to begin discussions towards creating some kind of proposal that will be the subject of a referendum next year. Um, so I see just even looking at the New Caledonian news today, there's an announcement of a Senate, a group of senators who will be coming out to New Caledonia to sort of assess the situation um, Macron sort of made an overture to the new government in a letter recently. So I guess, you know, those kinds of talks don't really depend at all upon the outcome of those elections. That they, they, they will take place regardless. Do you think the Canucks are still against uh, Macron and still angry at um, what he did during the, the last referendum of the Noumea Accord? Or do you think they've changed their mind and they're certainly in to cooperate with the government to try and find a solution. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not 100. I guess it feels like a little bit too early to tell yet. Um, I guess they. I mean, I guess the signs are that they're sort of cautiously welcoming the sort of you know they themselves said that they wouldn't be doing any talking until um, the new government in France was put in place, um, and I guess they're cautiously sort of welcoming sort of the beginning of that um, discussion. Mm. Um, but I think they have said fairly directly that that sort of, I think this will be sort of the key question is, I think they've sort of said that they'd much prefer to negotiate and talk directly between them and the government in France. There'll be a question about how inclusive, whether they're willing to participate in 
discussion that includes the the representatives of the loyalist parties in New Caledonia um, initially. So sort of how sort of inclusive those negotiations are might be the question in the first instance. And just last question, what what has come from Louis Mapu going to the decolonisation um, of territories at the UN? There's, there was a conference in the Caribbean about it. What's the next step for, for that? Um, do you think the Canucks will work um, in the future with the UN to try and work out something? The Canuck movement and the FLNKS um, have always been looking to um, the UN and the Decolonisation Committee for support. And certainly, um, I think in terms of some of the ideas being thrown out by the independentist parties, I mean, you know, I think they're still holding on to the notion of a of a referendum on their terms rather than than Macron's terms, and the idea that in any kind of future referendum, um, what role the UN might might play in that is. Um, to certainly to the independentists, a, a potentially important one. So I think they're still quite keen to, you know, engage with the UN and encourage France to, um, as well. So yeah, I don't, I'd, I'd see that as an ongoing um, conversation. Um, you know, that, that they're looking for the sort of the additional sort of oversight and support that the UN might provide. In three weeks, Papua New Guineans will be heading to the polls. The campaign period for the 3,499 candidates across 118 constituencies has been underway for several weeks now. Academic Dr Joseph Ketan, who will also be an observer when voting starts, told Don Wiseman it's been calm in most places so far. Campaigning is going smoothly except for two provinces in the islands. In Enga and in Western Ireland. What's happening there? Two different things. In Enga, it's uh, over the killing of a returning officer. The returning officer for one electorate in Enga was shot. Not killing, but he was shot and wounded and he's in hospital now. The other is uh, a dispute over, the, over a returning officer in Hagen. And the airport was closed for a day. Someone got into the terminal and poured oil, engine oil, on the runway. This attack on the returning officer, this is definitely done by someone who wants a different returning officer, was it? Um, not just a random attack. That is right. We do not have the details, so we can only assume that it's uh, a dispute over the appointment of the returning officer. Someone clearly didn't want him there. You are working as an observer attached to the Australian National University Group. What part of PNG are you in at the moment? I am currently in Port Mosby, but I will be looking at the elections in Western Islands and also the rest of the islands. All right. What do you expect to see? We've been looking at elections over the last four years with the Australian National University, and this is a continuation of that work. Dr. Nicole Heavy of the ANU is coordinating that. I will be only assisting in the Western Islands. I will also be working for the National Research Institute in Port Mosby. We will be looking at the islands and, and the NCD and possibly Lay and Madang. What we want to do is to look at the three basic principles of free, fair and safe elections, whether people, voters in particular, are allowed to exercise their freedom without intimidation, and whether women are 
allowed to vote freely without undue influence, and whether the elections are safely conducted, whether rules, laws are followed by electoral officials, by security forces, and by um, candidates, voters, and everyone else. Given this attack on the returning officer, are you worried about whether or not these rules are going to be followed by the vast majority? The rules on elections are hardly followed in this country. The situation in the last three or four elections have not been very good. It's very hard to police the electoral regulations. Security personnel deployed to election areas are always outnumbered and outgunned. The policy has been not to engage with militant local groups because they just are simply overwhelmed by numbers. So most electoral infringement and most uh, electoral foul play and fraud and voter irregularity and malfeasance is often allowed to go. And the safest thing is usually for the returning officer to advise aggrieved parties to go to the court of disputed returns rather than trying to solve something on the spot. That specific waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Looking for that next time more.